Studying through the book of James, and we've taken a few breaks along the way, and now we're in chapter 5. We're going to get back into James today and continue on in this great book. Uh, we have encouraged you in the past to read through this book, especially since it's been a, been a while since we've been in it. We encourage that again. Read through the book of James. Take this week and read through the book and remind yourself of some of the themes, some of the lessons we've looked at. If you need to look back at any of our lessons, they're on our website. You can look at every single one of those, listen to those, and catch up if you want to. But today we're in chapter 5, and if you remember the theme through the book of James, we're calling it Growing Up for God. We desire to be mature disciples of Jesus Christ, and we need these lessons in order to do that and make that happen. So we're thankful for the Word of God, and today we're going to call our lesson A Warning to the Filthy Rich. A Warning to the Filthy Rich. We will get there here in a minute to the text. But did you ever buy something you didn't need? Did you ever buy something you didn't need? That's probably a silly question, right? We're Americans. <laughs> uh, we buy stuff we don't need all the time. In fact, now there's a thing called Amazon. You can get it, what, in two days, maybe one day? Put it in your cart and it comes right to your door. So we're probably buying more things than we need ever before. In fact, I came up with a list, a list of 10 things that Americans have that generally nobody needs. But before I get to my list, does anyone want to shout something out? Something that Americans have that nobody needs? Think about it for a moment. What's something that Americans have that nobody needs, generally speaking? Anybody got one? I'm going to give you my list, but I want to give you a chance. Something to come to your mind? I mean, look around. You're probably using one right now. <laughs> no? Okay. Well, if something comes along, let me know. I'm going to give you my top ten, okay? Number, number one, and, I, and I'm not above you guys. I'm right with you. These are things, some things I have, okay? So I'm not speaking down to you. Number one, memory foam mattress pads. Anyone? <laughs> Yes, I have a memory. Yes, yes. I have a memory foam mattress pad. I love my memory foam mattress pad. Now, I will say about this list, there are probably some people that need these, okay? People with really, no, you're not on that list. <laughs> there probably are some people with medical issues who need these things. I generally have a bad back, so I might be able to get away with that. But most people don't need memory foam mattress pads. It's just for comfort. If I didn't have a memory foam mattress pad, I'd be alive. I'd be hunched over, but I'd be alive. Memory foam mattress pad is the first thing I thought of. How about number two? Fitbits. Everyone's got a... F oh, Dan. Sorry, buddy. Everyone's got the Fitbit now, right? We're crazy about fitness. We've got to know our heart rate at all moments, how many steps we're taking. Anybody count their steps throughout the day? Oh, all right. There you go. What, what's general for a stepping? Like 4,000? What's, what's a good number? 10 is? 10,000? All right. Let's get half of that today. It's Sunday. We'll rest. But everybody's got a Fitbit, right? Everybody wants to track their, their heart rate and things like that, and we're crazy about fitness today. I'm going to say no one really needs a Fitbit. We survived generations without Fitbits. So Americans need them, but no one really else needs them. Uh, number three, we have smart devices. All kinds of smart devices, which is funny because we're still pretty dumb people. But we have smartphones. Everybody's got a smartphone, right, except for the BlackBerry guy. He's kind of dumb still. <laughs> Haven't jumped to the 21st century. But most of us have smartphones. Uh, there's smart cars, you know, and uh, smart homes. Now you can get everything in your home to, to do things without even doing it. Just think, think it, and it happens. You know, I want, it's like the modern-day clapper. You know, turn the lights off, and it turns the lights off. Lock my door, and it locks the door. Smart watches are a thing. They go along with the Fitbits. There's smart refrigerators. Smart refrigerators, I don't know exactly what that does. Maybe it gives you the right amount of ice cubes or the perfect temperature. Doesn't You know, you ever heard of that part of, part of your refrigerator where it chills something too much? 
Like you put a thing of milk back there and you pull it out and it's frozen. The smart, smart refrigerator would be all over that thing. Uh, smart toasters. Don't know what that does. Smart, smart forks. Anyone? Anyone ever seen a smart fork? Don't stab me. I think that's probably what it does. It doesn't stab you. Uh, smart mattresses. You can get the right amount of softness or hardness, the numbers. And there are actually smart toilets. I did some read. There's a smart toilet. I'm not going to go there over what it does, but it's smart. It knows you. Creepy. But uh, smart toilets are out there. We don't need smart devices, right? We're smart enough to flush the toilet on our own, I hope. Uh, here's another one that's going crazy. Alexa. We talked about this on Wednesday. Alexa and all the equivalents of Alexa. Now we have these robots in our house. And again, they, we tell them exactly what to do and what to play and what to put on our shopping list. And they obey us until one day. They turn evil because every robot's going to turn evil, right? Come back and get us. But everyone's got an Alexa now. You got them in your car. You got them on your phone. You got them in your home. Here's one that's probably going to get myself in trouble with my wife, even though she's not listening right now. Uh, KitchenAid mixers. I just had to take a look around her house and the KitchenAid mixer, it's right in front of my face. Back in the day, you need a little muscle, right? To stir whatever thing that was. Now you just turn the KitchenAid mixer on and step away. And it does it for What's that? I need that. Oh, you need that. Okay. All right. Jerry gets hers. Everyone else. Here's another one. Some car features, right? We have features in our car now that nobody needs. Seat warmers. Seat warmers. Do we need seat warmers? That's a nice thing to have. GPS. I might actually need that. I'm really bad at directions. Satellite radio. Amen. <laughs> Cruise control. I don't even want to step on the pedal. You do it. Stow and go. Our old van had stow and go. You just hit a button and all the seats fold down. And, and when it breaks, it's weird because it doesn't go down. Uh, DVD players. My children love the DVD player in the van. Now we don't have one and they're barely making it. Barely. It's, it's tough every Sunday. Uh, here's number seven, swimming pools and home spas. It's nice to have, but nobody needs a swimming pool and a home spa. You know, we can go to the lake. Go to the river. I don't know. Here's another one. Home theater systems. Home theater systems. Now we've got to have the home theater experience in our house, right? Surround sound and big, massive screens. And actually, I came up on them the other day. And I want credit for this if it ever comes out. Surround smell. Anyone? Surround smell yet? No, that's probably not a good idea. That's probably a horrible idea. Yeah, we already have that. Surround smell. But we got to have the home theater system, right? we got to have exactly what they have in the theater right in our home. Here's number nine, several things that I use. Electric toothbrushes, anybody? Electric toothbrushes. We used to have to move our head and our arm, and now it's just like... I don't even have to move my head. It's fantastic. Uh, electric razors, hair clippers, beard trimmers, right? Back in the day, you'd have to do it yourself. Not anymore. And then number ten is something that I found while I was doing it. While I was doing it, drive through fast food. Now think about that one for a moment. It's fast, and I don't have to get out of the car. I pull right around the drive through They hand my fast food right through the window into my car. Or another one today that's kind of common is Uber. Uber everything, Uber car service, Uber delivery. Anything you want delivered now. They have Instacart, right? If anyone wants their groceries delivered. Did anyone think of any you want to put on the list? Anybody think of any to give you homework? Anyone? I covered everyone? All right, we got them all. Ten things Americans have that nobody needs. Well, it's kind of a light way to introduce a sort of serious topic today. If you have your Bibles, turn to James 5 if you're not there yet, because we are looking at something that's serious today. And we're going to have a little bit of fun today, but most of this is heavy. Most of this is serious, and I don't want to 
take that away because we need it today. It's called a warning to the filthy rich. We're going to look at James 5, verses 1 to 6. James 5, 1 to 6. Listen to the word of God. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You know what? I'm supposed to be clicking these slides. My bad, guys. Let me catch up here. All right. We'll start verse 3 again. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. A warning to the filthy rich is our lesson today. This is a warning today to a common group of people that, generally speaking, are considered blessed. I mean, if you're rich, it's pretty common in our world to think that God has blessed you. God is smiling upon you because you have a lot. And that's kind of an age-old troubling thing. As you look back in Scripture, even Job, I'm sure people thought, Job, you're a rich guy. God is blessing you. But when riches were taken away from Job, it was kind of easy to see the opposite, that maybe God was angry at Job. So this is a warning to a group of people today that are generally considered to be blessed. And my first question before we get into this is, would you consider yourself rich? Think about that question. Would you consider yourself rich? Maybe middle class? Or would you actually consider yourself poor? I wonder, I wonder what you would answer to that question. Put an answer down on your sheet if you're able to. Do you think you're rich? Well, it's probably a matter of perspective, right? Most things are a matter of perspective. I would hazard a guess that my family would be considered middle class. Middle class, right in the middle. Not rich, not poor, kind of right in the middle. Not even upper middle class, just middle class. So I did a little research to find out if I was right. And according to several internet sites, based on our yearly income, my family is indeed considered middle class in America. Middle class. Right in the middle, which means I'm not rich. I'm not rich, and therefore this warning in James is not to me. Good to know. But we need to hold on a moment, don't we? Because when my family's income is compared to the rest of the world, those same internet sites tell me that my family is richer than 97% of people in the entire world. 97%, which means my family is in the top 3% of the richest people in the world. Now, is that rich? That's rich, right? In fact, according to those internet sites, if you make just $2,500 a year, $2,500 a year, according to the world, you would be considered middle class. If you make $2,500 a year. And if you add just one zero to that and you make $25,000 a year, which probably in America does not make you even middle class. But according to the world, you would be considered rich, probably even filthy rich. This means that being rich is all a matter of perspective, is it? It's perspective. According to America, I don't feel rich. According to the rest of the world, it's sort of hard to dodge. In fact, as we just read, 
According to America, we, have, we refer to things like central heat and running water and indoor plumbing, having laundry units, owning one to two vehicles, having TV and internet. We consider those things to be basic human necessities. Anyone ever been to a third world country? Have you? Third world country? Yeah, okay. Because in many parts of the world, those things that we just mentioned that seem like basic human necessities would be considered luxuries to most people. Luxuries. Not to mention the iPads, the tablets, the smartphones, the coffee machines, the memory foam mattresses, the video game system, etc., etc. So we need to understand this message today. Not so we feel guilty, okay? The point today is to not feel guilty about where we live. I did not put myself in America. You guys did not put yourself in America. We are not supposed to feel guilty about where we live or having what we have. That's not the point of the message today. The point of the message is this. To take this warning seriously. To take it seriously. Because we live in the richest country in the world per capita. That means that most people in America, according to the rest of the world, are rich, whether we admit it or not. We are rich people. But in an effort to be fair to all the rich people here today, myself included, the warning James is giving us is not just to people with wealth. It's to those who misuse their wealth. And we're going to call the message today a warning to the filthy rich. The first verse of this passage is very shocking to read. Let's read it again. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's almost a guarantee that's nobody's life verse, right? I don't remember anyone saying, James 5.1 is my life verse. Does anyone have that in their home on a plaque? Nobody, right? Nobody puts that up on their home. Did I see a nod down there? No? Okay. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's safe to say that we don't want any part of that, right? We don't want any part of those miseries. Whatever James is referring to, I don't want any part of that. Hell is real. Guys, it's real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a scare tactic. Hell is real. And so is eternal regret. Eternal regret is real too. And I don't want to do, I don't want to deal with either of those to any degree. Hell or eternal regret. You ever had regret? You ever do something that you wish you didn't do? You ever buy something you wish you didn't buy? Just the other day, I bought something on Amazon. It came and it's not what I thought it was. And I regretted purchasing it. But it wore off. I returned it. It was no big deal. You ever had real regret though? Imagine that on an eternal scale. Regret that never goes away. As per usual, James is not mincing any words here. He gives us to a straight. It's fairly obvious that he's giving the people a warning. A warning. Not a promise of things to come. This is a warning. You can tell very simply. And you have to remember this. We've said this many times along the book of James. James is writing to who? He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to unbelievers. Now, I'm sure there may be a few unbelievers in the midst, but he is writing directly to a church. This warning is given to Christians. Are you a rich Christian today? If so, this warning today is for you and for me. Now, if you heard someone say that phrase, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you, do you think you would pay attention to what followed it? to make sure that you avoided whatever those miseries are. And that's kind of the point. Because we just learned that most of us are indeed rich in comparison to the rest of the world. So this warning is something we need to pay very close attention to today, simply to the grave phrasing of that verse. 
Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You and I have to make sure that if this warning is to us today, that we can avoid those consequences by paying very close attention to the solution, because there is a solution. So let's do just that today. Let's pay careful attention to this lesson, to this warning, and make sure that if James is speaking directly to us today, we will somehow avoid the terrible destiny and consequences that he is speaking about. James continues giving us a picture of what the outcome will be for the filthy rich. Now, this is a prophecy. Listen to what he says. In verses 2 to 3, he says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I don't want us to be trite about this or coy about this warning today, okay? I don't want to lessen what James is saying here. It's very tempting to do so, to go, you know what, he's not talking to us, or, you know, there's a, there's a very specific category of people out there that need to hear this, but most of us are safe. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be coy or trite with this warning today, because it's very, very serious. One of the reasons we love the idea of being wealthy is because we believe being wealthy equates being secure. Money equals security. You have wealth, and you'll never be in need. We'll never be without. That's a secure feeling, right? I mean, I remember when the pandemic started, everyone ran to the grocery store and bought the toilet paper. I don't want to be in need. I don't, I don't want to be without. It's a secure feeling to not be in need and not, not to go without. So it's been packaged to our mind that money and wealth, it equals security. And that allurement of security brings us a lot of comfort and peace to our minds. And we like peace and comfort. I do. I want peace and comfort and security. So wealth, it's a very desirable thing to have because we all want peace. We all want security. And we believe that having wealth will assure us that we will have that peace and that security that you and I desperately want. But does money equal security? Does wealth actually equal security? Is it true? If you have wealth, are you secure? See, James, he's speaking very strangely here. He's given us quite the opposite picture of what you'd expect of someone who has wealth. It doesn't sound very secure by the words he's using, does it? And he's kind of syncing up with the rest of Scripture. The rest of Scripture syncs up with what James is saying to us today. That wealth may not bring us happiness, may not bring us peace and security, because Scripture seems to say the opposite. In fact, let's Let's look at three passages. One was read by TGD, but let's read these three right in a row. Number one comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus himself speaking, and he says this. As a commandment, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do you notice that? That is the absence of security. Moth and rust can destroy your stuff. Thieves can break in and steal your stuff. That is the absence of security. That is not security. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, the Apostle Paul speaking now to Timothy, he said, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you notice it again? The absence of security. 
James, or excuse me, Paul calls it a snare. Is that security? A snare, a trap laid out for you. One more from Matthew 19, Jesus speaking again. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Security or the absence of security. It looks to me like riches are a huge obstacle to security. But the world tells you the opposite. You get wealth, you get security. And the scriptures say, no, wrong. You get wealth and you now have an obstacle to security. James and the rest of scripture are telling us today, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for, American. Because wealth may not be the blessing you think it is. In fact, it might be. It might be a curse. There's two problems with earthly wealth. There's two problems, two big problems, okay? The first problem is this, and we've talked about this many times through the book of James. The first problem with earthly wealth is the same problem with everything that is earthly. Not that it's all sinful. The first problem is that it's temporary. We'll get back to that. The first problem with earthly wealth is it's temporary. See, money, it's a currency we use in the world, but please understand this today. Money doesn't do anything for you in the kingdom of God. There is no currency called money in the kingdom of God. Wealth and riches will make you powerful and respected upon the earth, but they'll bring you nothing in, in eternity. You don't stand before the gates of the kingdom of heaven with your money and your possessions and your toys and go, God, see, I did well. Let me in. You know, where's my mansion? doesn't do anything. There is no currency called money or wealth in eternity. Well, at least not earthly. See, in the Lord, he doesn't want us. He does not want us rich now and then broke for all eternity. The Lord loves us. He does not want us broke, empty-handed for the rest of eternity. Because he knows money is not going to transfer to the other side. If that is our treasure and that is our security and that's going away, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew said this. He said, where your heart is, is where your treasure is. So if your treasure is earthly, your heart will go with it. It'll go away. All your joy, all your happiness, all your security will be gone. And the Lord does not want that for us. In fact, eternity is so long, and I can't even fathom how long eternity is. But it's so long and so profoundly our real lives that the, door, the Lord doesn't desire that we're rich upon the earth. He doesn't care. As long as we're rich for the rest of eternity. Now, you guys have heard the term before, prosperity gospel, right? And generally speaking, the prosperity gospel, at least on the earth, tells you that if you follow God, if you follow his word, you will be rich and blessed upon the earth. And it's wrong. It's, it's evil. It's perversion. But I do not hate the term prosperity gospel. I only hate that term when they refer to earthly prosperity. See, God has prosperity for us as well. But it's later and longer and everlasting. Now, if someone can be blessed for five seconds or be blessed for 50 years. Do you care about blessing someone for five seconds? If you can bless them for 50 years, that's a long time, isn't it? 50 years is a long time to bless someone. And that's basically what we have here. Problem number one is money and wealth and, and security upon the earth is short-lived. And the Lord doesn't really desire that we have that because it's short-lived. It's temporary. It's not going to go to the other side. That's problem number one. Problem number two 
The second problem with earthly wealth is that it distracts us from real eternal wealth that comes from Jesus. According to the scripture, generally speaking, you can either be rich on the earth or you can be rich in eternity, but rarely do they happen simultaneously. Rarely. And that's where Jesus reminded how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. This metaphor Jesus uses, it's hyperbole, but listen to it. He says it's easier to shove a camel through the eye of a needle than for an earthly rich person to get into heaven. Now, I tried to find a camel. I was going to do an illustration today. So I went on to look for a camel, and it was hard. It wasn't easy to find a camel. But I'm rich, so I bought one. I bought a camel. This is Douglas. I think. It says Douglas on the back. That might be the brand. Uh, this is Douglas. I bought Douglas on Amazon. Okay, this is a camel. Now, is this life-size? Is this, is this true to form right here? No, of course not. This is probably one, one one-hundredth of a normal camel size. I don't even know. But this is the best I could do, okay? Now, sticking in his ear, which is kind of the opposite here, is a... How many guys can even see that? Can you even see that? That is a needle that I'm holding in my right hand. And at the top of this is an eye to that needle. Can anyone see that from where they're sitting? Can anyone see the eye to the needle? Okay. Now, I have Douglas here, and I have an eye of a needle. Now, could I have a volunteer? Joan? All I need you to do is come and take Douglas and shove Douglas through the eye of this needle. Would someone want it Haddon? You want to give it a whirl? He tried it at home. It didn't go great. Anyone want to give it a whirl? <laughs> Anyone? No one's going to humor me. You want to volunteer me? Okay, okay. I'm not even sure where to start. Now, this camel needs to go through the eye of the needle for us to feel comforted today, okay? This has got to go through this. And this is one one-hundredth of a real camel. But, um, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Okay? And you can tell what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us a metaphor. He's giving us hyperbole. He's telling us something that I believe he really wants to stick into our minds today. That riches are a great obstacle to security. Wealth and riches upon the earth, treasures upon the earth, are a real obstacle. Now I want you to picture a huge camel, okay? And back in the day, that would have been easy to do. Camels would have been everywhere, probably. Probably the largest animal that anyone could have thought of in that time around that area would have been camels. And then picture the eye of the needle here. And that's what Jesus wanted you to remember about the illustration about a rich person getting into heaven. Then he says this, it's harder. It's harder for a rich person to get to the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Not the same, not similar. It's more difficult. Isn't that shocking? That's a shocking illustration. It's a little thing that Jesus mentioned that he wants us to understand today because it's important. He wants us to know today that we have a really uphill battle here. The rich people have the disadvantage, not the advantage. And we'll talk about why that is here in a minute. As we just learned, most of us are rich when compared to the rest of the standard of the world. And this morning today is for all of us, all of us, because we all live somewhere rich. We all have more than most of what the world has. And James just told us that treasures are going to wear out upon the earth. In fact, he says this, your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. He's basically telling us that lost treasures and worn out riches one day will be evidence that we were not rich in Jesus. 
If you and I are standing before the Lord on Judgment Day, on the last day, having suffered, just suffered a great loss, and you and I have the sadness, the countenance on our face of that loss on our faces, we just watched as our riches evaporated before our eyes. That might be the only evidence that is needed to prove to the Lord that we did not live for him, but we lived for earthly wealth and earthly security. Our temporary riches kept us from his eternal riches, and we just suffered a great loss. I've mentioned this before. My favorite movie is A Christmas Carol. In that movie, Ebenezer Scrooge had had a business partner. His name was Jacob Marley. Maybe you guys remember that scene. And Jacob Marley is, Jacob Marley is the first spirit to visit Scrooge. And when he comes to Scrooge, he has all these chains about his neck. And Scrooge inquires of Jacob Marley, you know, why the change, Jacob? You were a good business partner. You know, you were successful. You were a good business partner. And Jacob Marley basically says to Scrooge, I forged these chains by my decisions to forsake the common good of mankind for wealth. And he says to Scrooge, Scrooge, be careful. Your chain was this long seven years ago when I died. And you've lived seven years longer chasing wealth and riches. Now, yes, it's fictional. But do you see what James is saying to us today? The wealth and the treasures that we have on the earth might become the very thing that drags us to hell one day. I don't want to hear that, guys. I don't like hearing that. That doesn't bring comfort to my soul because I like living where I live. I like having what I have. But the miseries that are coming upon the filthy rich are real. They're real, and they're grave, and they're eternal. Jesus described what these miseries will be like as this phrase. He said in Matthew 13, 41 to 42, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want anyone I love to flirt with that. Anyone I love to go to such a miserable, horrible, long-lasting place. What does that look like? The weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to know. I don't even want to know what it looks like, let alone experience it. So regardless of how difficult it is to avoid these consequences today, and it is difficult, we have to. We have to. We must avoid these consequences at all costs. I cannot afford that. Can you? I cannot afford the fiery furnace. I cannot afford a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you can't either. And then this warning again, we have to remember, is written to a church. A church similar to our church today. So now that we've learned what's going to happen to the filthy rich, the rest of the passage is the description of, of the filthy rich. So now what we need to do is see if that description lines up with our wealth and our riches today. Okay? Starting in verse 3, going to the rest of the passage, he said, You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So as we can tell, it's pretty easy to tell. James is not describing just anyone with wealth. 
He's not describing just anybody with money. He's describing someone who misuses their wealth for evil and selfish motives. That's what he's describing. This is where we come across from the rich to the filthy rich, okay? Rich is not necessarily evil or wrong. Filthy rich, at least according to what James is saying, certainly is. And this is where we need to understand, are we not just rich, but are we filthy rich? Let's go through the description one by one, verse by verse, line by line, and see if we are not only rich, but we are either uh, filthy rich or flirting with filthy rich. The first thing James says is, they have laid up treasure in the last days. Laid up treasure in the last days. Guys, we are now in the last days. We're now in the last days. We are now waiting for the Lord Jesus to come back. He has told us, I am coming soon. I'm on my way. Get prepared. We are in the last days. Now, I don't know how long the last days will go. But you and I are in the last days. So what he's saying to us today is, laid up treasure in the last days. Now. And this is verbatim, word-by-word description of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, to not lay up for ourselves treasures on the earth. James tells, t- tells us today that the filthy rich have neglected the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. That's what he said as a commandment. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So the first description of the filthy rich is they neglected the teachings of Jesus. They thought that those riches would satisfy them. So they chased him. Even though Jesus sharply warned them that earthly treasures will pass away and they will leave us entirely and utterly broke if we chase them. The first description is we've neglected the teachings of Jesus. And not only do we have them, but we've chased them. We need to really think about this one today. What if I asked you to make a list? And maybe we should. Maybe we actually should do this. What if I asked you to make a list similar to the list we started the sermon off with of things that you have in your life that the average person in the world would consider luxuries? What if you just made a list of things that you have in your life that most of the people in the known world would consider luxuries? What would that list look like? Would it be long? Would it be a big list? I'm guessing your list would be long just as my list would be long because we're Americans and it's been ingrained in us to have lots of stuff. We need lots of stuff. But what if we made a sub-list, a second list of things that not only we have as Americans that are luxuries, but things we're seeking to improve or upgrade? Things that are already luxuries to most of the known world and you and I are seeking to improve and get more of and get better. Now, I could get very specific with a list here, but I I don't want to do that. I would rather you do your own list and me do my own list, okay? But the question we're seeking to answer today is, are we content with what we have? Or do we always need to be improving upon and building upon the luxuries we already have? Do we need more luxuries as Christians on the narrow path that leads to life? If we not only have dozens of luxuries, but we're seeking to improve upon those luxuries, wouldn't it be feasible for someone to come up and say to us, you have laid up treasures in the last days. You have luxuries, 
and you're seeking to get more of them and improve upon the ones you already have. Wouldn't that be the exact description of someone who has laid up treasure in the last days? Again, you and I would never consider ourselves to be covetous or selfish or greedy, right? We know people like that. That's not me. But what if Jesus looked at that list? Our luxuries and the list of things we're seeking to improve upon. Would our conscience be against us? This is the first description of the filthy rich. Does it describe you? Are you laying up treasure for yourself in the last days? Not treasures in heaven. James is referring to treasures on the earth. That's the first description of the filthy rich. Laid up treasures in the last days. Number two, he said, they've kept back wages by fraud from those who worked for them. Those in their employment. They frauded them. They cheated them over things that they deserve. Now this one's very specific and it's very evil. This person has people in his employment and under his care, and he has cheated them over what they deserve. Payment that they deserve, he cheated them, he found a loophole to not give them the money that they deserve, and this one's pure evil. This one's pure evil. I don't know anybody specifically that has done this, because this one's really evil. There's people in your employment, you owe them money, you found a loophole to not give them that money. And basically, James says the cries of those in justice are reaching the ears of the Lord of hosts, and he's going to come to bat for those people one day because we cheated them out of what they deserve. Now, again, I don't know any specific Christian who struggles with, it, with this, and I'm thankful for that. But we also need to be careful with this one because this warning probably pertains to any sort of financial finagling in order to keep more wealth than we deserve to have or unethical in financial dealings. If you, all, if you want to avoid the consequences of the filthy rich, you should take stock and take inventory of your entire lives and make sure that we aren't being at all unethical in our financial dealings with people so that you and I can keep more for ourselves. More stuff, more riches for me, less for them. I found a loophole. I found a way to get around this so I don't have to pay. I can do this and not pay. It's financial finagling in order to have more wealth. And it's maybe not illegal. Maybe no one's going to throw you in jail, but it's unethical. It's nothing you feel right about. It's nothing you know is good before the Lord. If you had to confess it to the Lord, you would feel great shame about that. So that's a very specific uh, illustration that James gives us, but it could encompass even more and more unethical things than what, ha what he has in mind there. And I want us to be careful about that one. Number three, he says, lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Wow. Lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, this one probably pertains to at least every middle-class American, whether Christian or not, to some degree. We just discussed that what Americans call needs is what most people in the world would call luxuries. But we need to be careful here on both sides. Both sides, okay? We must not get legalistic here and start feeling guilty for every single item of luxury that we have and start acting as if having luxuries is sin. We need to be careful with that. The phrasing James uses is very important. He says, lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. 
I want you to have the idea of a lifestyle and a pattern here, okay? These descriptions of the filthy rich are all together. It would be tempting and easy for a minister and a pastor to, to single one out and start calling every modern thing that we have evil and sinful. People have done it. And it's easy and it's tempting to do that. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And I don't want to. I want us to be biblical, okay? I want us to be biblical. I want us to be holy. I want us to be righteous according to Jesus. And legalism is not going to accomplish that. Just calling luxuries and modern things sin is not going to accomplish what James is seeking to do. Just abstaining from everything that is modern and luxury is not the point. But we also have to be fair to this text. And more than that, we have to make absolutely sure that we are on the proper path of Jesus. If you and I are indeed living in luxury and self-indulgence while the Lord is on his way back to the earth, we need to be very honest and very humble about our failings today because we need to repent. We need to repent of that, if that is true about us today, of a lifestyle of luxury and self-indulgence while we've been called to the narrow path that leads to life. The term self-indulgence can best be described as satisfying yourself with the vain pleasures of the world. Satisfying yourself with the vain pleasures of this world. Now that might sound incredibly bad, incredibly sinful, like sexual immorality or excessive greed. It sounds really bad. Self-indulgence sounds really bad. But indulgence, practically speaking, can actually look quite benign especially to those of us who have done it long enough and live in a culture where it's deemed normal. It's normal to be self-indulgent in America. See, indulgence is probably biblically best described as the antithesis of Colossians 3, 1-4, where Paul told us to set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Self-indulgence would be the opposite. It would be setting our minds on things of the earth and doing what we can to gain and invest into things that are earthly. Where Christ is not. See, Christ is in heaven. He's waiting for us in the kingdom of God. And he says, man, do not chase treasures on the earth. Chase treasures in heaven where I am that will never fade, will never spoil, where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Chase those treasures. That's where I am. That's where I will be. This is where you will be for the rest of time. Do not chase the wrong treasures. Are you self-indulgent? Are you chasing the wrong thing? Is your mind set on the wrong types of treasures? If so, that's the third description of the filthy rich. Number four, we need to move fast here. He says they have fattened their hearts in the day of slaughter. I should say fattened. They have fattened their hearts in the day of slaughter. The picture I get when James says this is like a fatted calf or a pig that's been intentionally plumped up by the farmer to have a better feast, a better cut of meat. Only James says that the thing that has been fattened is our hearts. Our hearts. See, a day of slaughter is coming. It is. It's going to follow Judgment Day. A day of slaughter is going to follow Judgment Day. And those who are fat on the world are the ones who are going to be taken to the slaughter because they clearly did not follow Jesus Christ. And in this case, the day of slaughter is referring to eternal damnation. It's nothing to joke about. The day of slaughter is coming with all certainty. 
On the other hand, those who lived trim and light for the sake of serving Jesus and his kingdoms are the ones who will be at the eternal feast. So there's going to be an eternal feast and there's going to be a day of slaughter. Those who live fat of the pleasures of this world are the ones who are suited for the slaughter. The only way to avoid this lifestyle, guys, is to ask questions of the things that we chase after in this life. Ask this one singular question of everything you have and everything you want. Will it help me serve the kingdom of God? What if we ask that question about everything we wanted, everything we chased, everything we bought? Will it help me serve the kingdom of God? Do you think we buy less? Do you think we chase less things on the world? If we asked that question, we would be in a very good position to not be fat on the pleasures of this world. Otherwise, I think, I believe that purely by default, we're going to pattern ourselves after the world and we're going to find ourselves more like the filthier rich than we ever expected to be possible. And we won't even feel bad about it. That's the fourth description of the filthy rich. We have one more. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Wow. Wow. I mean, think about that. He just talked about like living for wrong treasures, and now he says you've condemned and you've murdered the righteous person. This is where James says our filthy rich lifestyle is going to lead if we're not careful. Now, we've been talking on Wednesdays. Our clearly stated commandment of God is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's been very clearly stated. It's all over Scripture. You can't miss it. And if you and I are getting fat on the world, then our neighbor and their needs are the furthest thing from our mind. We are too self-indulgent to even see the needs of others, let alone meet those needs. And when you and I are filthy rich and we're not serving the needs of those around us, then according to scripture, we're acting more like the murderous Cain in 1 John 3 than we are the selfless others seeking Jesus. And if we are, if we're more like Cain than we're like Jesus, we are closer to being murderers than we know that we are. And God is going to do something on the last day. To those we have hurt, to those we have neglected, he's going to avenge those people. Those who we have hurt, those who we have murdered, according to Jesus Christ, God is going to avenge those people, give those people justice. And he wants us to be very, very clear. No practicing murderer is going to the kingdom of heaven. No practicing murderer is going to the kingdom of heaven. Now, previous murderers, there will be lots of those in heaven. People who did murder, found Christ, found forgiveness, got on the right path, and started loving their neighbor. Yes, there will be plenty of those people. Plenty of previous murderers in heaven. But no one who is a practicing murderer person will step one foot into the kingdom of God. So now that we've learned the description of the filthy rich, we have to honestly answer the question today, am I filthy rich? Is that me? And the reason we have to ask this question is because of how James started this lesson off. He said, come now, you rich. Or as we described the filthy rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. 
Now, James has brought up some very difficult problems in this book, but his goals are very simple, guys. His goals through the entire book of James is very simple. He's seeking to help us consistently and faithfully follow the Lord Jesus and his pattern of love. That's his one goal. With everything that he mentions, his one goal is to get us to line up right behind Jesus and follow his pattern of love. So when he brings up bickering in the church, or the dangers of having a dead faith, or the misuse of our tongue and our speech, or loving the world, or being enemies of God, or being filthy rich, his goals are all the same. To help us follow Jesus. Because if you and I do not follow Jesus, we're doomed. We're doomed. And the problem we're talking about today, it's a widespread problem, especially in the American church. This is a widespread, chronic problem, more chronic, by a landslide than the coronavirus. This problem infects almost every church in America. We're chasing our happiness. We're chasing our wealth. We're chasing our security, and we're neglecting the needs of those around us. And that is nothing at all like Jesus. At all. So both the Apostle John in 1 John 3 that we just referenced and the Apostle James here in chapter 5 are using a term called murder. Murder? How did we jump from having the wrong treasures to murder? I mean, that's drastic. That's a drastic leap, James. And Jesus himself brought up the term murder in the Sermon on the Mount. Murder. Think about that word. Murder. According to Scripture, murder is when we don't love our neighbors. First John says we are more like Cain who murdered his brother than we are like Jesus when we neglect the needs of those around us. And Jesus said the same thing. It's murder, according to Jesus. And now James is saying the exact same thing to us once again, that murderers are not Christ followers. They are not. They are two polar opposite directions. And practicing murder is going to keep us out of the kingdom of God. We cannot continue in murder. Or, as Jesus calls it, the neglect of loving our neighbors and expect to be safe at judgment day. How can we say to Jesus, I followed you when we neglected the needs of those around us? And to him, we practiced murder. And it should be obvious to us today that practicing murder is not following Jesus Christ. It's not. It can't be. So the question we've been asking lately is a big one, but there's a bigger question even behind that. And I want us to consider these two crucial questions before we close today. Okay, number one, are you or am I, are we getting fat off the pleasures of the world? Not just having some luxuries. Okay, that's a different question. Don't feel guilty about every luxury item you have, but do hold them in check and ask this question, am I getting fat off the pleasures of the world? And number two, maybe even the bigger question, am I loving my neighbors like Jesus repeatedly taught me? And you notice how those two go together? If you're loving the world, you're not loving others. And if you're loving others, you don't have time to love the world. They never happen together. You're either fat off the world or you're repeatedly loving your neighbor, but you're never doing them both simultaneously. Now remember the illustration. Jesus said it's easier, it's easier to take an entire camel and shove it through the eye of a needle than to get a rich person into the kingdom of heaven. Wow, why is that? Why? 
And this is why. It's because riches corrupt our minds and our hearts. We don't even think it's wrong. We just continue chasing treasures of this world, improving upon our luxuries, and we never stop to think that our lack of love, our neglect of our neighbor, is murder in the eyes of God, even though he repeatedly taught us that. Lack of love is murder. Because the lack of love hurts your neighbor. If someone's in need and you don't meet those needs, you harm your neighbor. And Jesus said that's, that's what murder is. That's exactly what murder is. You're harming your neighbor instead of helping your neighbor. So James is telling us today, all of us today, that if, if, and I can't answer that for you, I can only answer it for me, if we're acting like the filthy rich, it has to stop today. Today. We can no longer let our wealth and our comforts and our earthly desires keep us from following Jesus and his pattern of selfless, others-seeking, others-serving love. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And this one is a hard one today, guys. I did not look forward to preaching this one. But this message we have to understand today is sent in love from our Lord so that we do not suffer a great loss one day. When we're at Judgment Day and our silver and our gold have corroded and we're empty-handed in terms of loving our neighbor as Jesus commanded us. God does not want us empty-handed. God does not want us broke. God does not want us suffering loss. And God definitely does not want us facing the miseries that James is talking about. And that's why we're telling this today. It's sin and love. So we need to all take this warning seriously today. We need to take a long look at Jesus, who was the richest person that ever lived. What did he do with those riches? In Philippians 2, listen to what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, our Lord, was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then you circle back to the beginning of the passage and he says, have this mind among yourselves. Be like Jesus. Does that mean we have to give up everything we own? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you need to do. I'm only exploring what I need to do. But I do know this. I need to follow my Lord no matter what it takes. No matter what it takes. Now, it is possible, and I want to end on a positive note today. It is possible that wealth can be an advantage. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that is, if our wealth is in line and in step with the will of God, it could be a great advantage to loving our neighbor? Isn't that true? I mean, at the end of Christmas Carol, that's kind of what happens to Scrooge. is He takes all his money and he starts blessing people with it. Helping people who are hurting. It's possible that our wealth could help us love our neighbor even more so than those who don't have wealth. And I want to end on a positive note today because this warning, although very serious and, and something we really need to take to heart today, I want to end on a positive note and talk about how you and I can take our wealth that we do have and love our neighbor with those things. Now, the question we need to, we need to ask really honestly before we get here is, is this possible for me? I know it seems like a good thing that I should do, but... Am I actually going to take my wealth and love my neighbor with it? And if not, that's where you need to ask this really hard question. Should I have this? Should I keep this? Should I get rid of this? Is it hurting me? Is it corrupting me? 
But if you can use your wealth, here's a few things that we can do. Number one, we have cars. We have vehicles, most of us. We could pay people a visit. We could pick something up for somebody who can't get out and get it. We have cars. I mean, it's simple, right? I don't want us to overthink this. We have cars. We can bless somebody with our vehicle. We can help someone who's hurting and who can't go out. Here's another one. We have lots of time savers. We have tons of time savers. You would think we all have this abundance of time because all of the time savers and inventions that we've been given. But we also have an excess of time wasters, don't we? Isn't that interesting? We have a lot of time savers and we have an excess of time wasters and therefore we're out of time. But you know what that proves to us? We can find time. We can find time to help someone who is hurting. The justification I don't have time doesn't really work. We all have time. If we want to find it, we will find it. Number three is we have a high standard, standard of living. And we just mentioned there's some things we have in our life that are luxuries. If we were really honest, they are luxuries. We don't have to have them. So doesn't that mean that if we wanted to, if someone was hurting, we could trim our budget in some of those areas that aren't really needs in order to help someone who is hurting financially? And that's not legalism, guys. That's what love is. That's what love would say. I don't need this. And even if I do need this, I can trim. I can help. I can give to those who are hurting. But oftentimes we just go, sorry, nothing in the bank. Wish I could. But we have a high standard of living. We have many luxuries. Number four, we have dozens of forms of communication tools. We have, it's so easy to communicate today. I mean, the fact that we can say, listen, I'm too busy. I should have reached out to you, but really, really busy. It was really hard. I couldn't find the time. It doesn't make any sense. We have lots of time, and we have lots of forms of communication tools. We have tablets and computers and phones and smartphones, and we can write letters, all kinds of things. So we can encourage people with great ease, great ease. And most of these I'm speaking to myself. The last one I thought of is that we have access to a thousand ways to bless people spiritually, don't we? Probably of the likes of no other generation before us. We can pray for people. We can get updates on prayer requests in no time at all. We can send biblical encouragement through a dozen different mediums. We can invite others to church, which we highly encourage. We can send a link to a sermon, a devotional, a podcast that encouraged us. We can make sure that no one we love is going without constant spiritual encouragement. Isn't it true? If we simply thought about it and did the mind homework, aren't there a lot of ways that we can use our wealth as advantages to love our neighbor? And the point is this today. We cannot and we must not let our wealth, our luxuries, our standard of living deter us, distract us, or destroy our ability to love our neighbor. And if it is, it would be better to go without it would be better to go without the common comforts of this world in order to be loose, to be light, to be freed up to love our neighbor because that's what our Lord Jesus did. He emptied himself so that he could love his neighbor. Simply put, we cannot afford to not love our neighbor. And this is a warning to the filthy rich. But it's a warning sent in love to help us stay on the path of Jesus before he comes back to judge the world Jesus said in Revelation 22, he said this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me 
to repay each one for what he has done. Very soon, the Lord is coming back and we're, all, we're either all getting paychecks or pink slips on the last day. He's going to repay us for whatever we did on this earth, whether it was following him in his pattern of love or not. And our solution to this problem that we need to end on today is this. It's Jesus. Jesus is the solution to this problem. We either need to turn to him for salvation and say, Lord, I am not this. I am not this. I have not been this way. I am not loving my neighbor. I have been corrupted by the things of this world. I'm not even sure I'm yours. I remember doing that in my mid-20s. It was very awkward and very embarrassing. But for the first time, I had to be honest. Lord, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm following you at all. Or get right behind him today. And maybe it's been a while. Maybe 2020 and 2021 threw you off the course and you're recognizing that going, no, this stuff is not going to help me. It's not satisfying. It is not like Jesus Christ. And get back on the path right behind your Lord. But either way, Jesus is the solution. He will forgive you. He will restore you. And he will guide you if you want to go the right way. But either way, let us call the lifestyle of being a filthy rich, let's call it sin. It's sin. And let's make sure we aren't living a life of luxury and self-indulgence at the cost of not loving our Lord and not loving our neighbor. It would be devastating for these miseries to come upon us. Let us look to Jesus today, remember his pattern that he literally laid aside all of his riches in order to love you and I when we were in need And please listen to the plea of James today to follow Jesus and not, not the world. The world is dragging us to hell and Jesus is seeking to guide us to the kingdom of heaven. Heed the warning of the filthy rich before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, I need your help in this area. I have struggled. I have fallen many times in this area. And there's some things that I'm doing I don't even know they're wrong. But I pray that you'd help me. Guide me the right way. Show me what is wrong. Show me what is best. Show me what to do with the stuff that I have been given. Father, it's hard for a rich person to get to the kingdom of heaven because we don't believe we need Jesus when we have all the riches we have. But what a cloak that is from the devil. We desperately, desperately need Jesus Christ. And our riches are often a cloak to cover what we really need so that we chase something that can never satisfy us and never help us. I pray for every person in this room, if they are filthy rich today, in the ways that James is speaking about, that they'd recognize it, that they'd get back on the path, confess their sins, and we'd be restored. That's the great thing about what you've told us, Father. We don't have to be shamed and guilted for the rest of today or the rest of our lives. We could turn around right now. And I ask that we would. There are many people around us who need Christ, who are hurting and need to see the gospel. And we can only do that if we're following Jesus' pattern. Thank you for the message today. I pray that you'd bless us as we leave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.